Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I love dogs and cats and the people who care about them. I'm here every week with authors and experts who can enlarge our understanding of the ways that animals share our lives and impact our society. Dog Talk is a production of Eight Paws LLC, which is solely responsible for its content. To hear other episodes of this show and other informative pet talk radio shows I co-host with top veterinarians and experts, please go to RadioPetLady.com. And accept this invitation to get one of the remaining founder member tickets to my Dog Film Festival and Pooch Party this October 2nd and 3rd in New York City, benefiting Bidewee. Only founding members can come to the gala premiere Pooch Party cocktail festivities with or without a dog and enjoy photographers on the green carpet step and repeat, sketch artists, a dog psychic, asking questions of my vet co-host and dog trainer Andrea Arden, and come hang out with me while enjoying food and drink, going home with a doggy swag bag filled with desirable goodies. Founding members get an all-access dog tag for all the film screenings on Saturday, October 3rd at Symphony Space, where the best seats are roped off and held for them throughout the day and night. It's not too early to get tickets now because many listeners have already gotten them, so there's only a limited number left. At dogfilmfestival.com, you can support the first annual celebration of the remarkable bond between dogs and their people. I have some very special people here that I'm going to talk to today. One of them is Mela Chappelle, who's going to be the photographer at the Dog Film Festival. Her website, Real Happy Dogs, will show you how happy she finds dogs to be. She also has another amazing thing she does called Day in the Life, which I'm going to get to benefit from. Then we're going to talk to Jeremy Brunner from Espoma Organic. He's a petscaper. Learn about how to garden and have your property pet safe and pet happy. And then Annie England Noblin will be here with her novel, Sit, Stay, Speak. Milla, welcome to the show. It is so marvelous to talk to you. I cannot wait to see you in person at the Dog Film Festival Pooch Party. Oh, thank you, Tracy, so much. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you. Well, you are an incredible uh, photographer, pet pet portraitist, and it's you do a very naturalistic style, but we're going to have to deal with this green carpet and a step and repeat, which, by the way, <laughs> I never even knew what a step and repeat was. This is how I am not in the fashion world. I thought it was sort of like <laughs> barn dancing, like, oh, step and repeat, that must be like barn dancing. But those of you that are a little hipper than me know that it's like a thing behind the people dressed up and the dogs dressed up, which has the names of our wonderful sponsors, which is Halo Purely for Pets and VCA Hospitals and Canine Styles, which, by the way, is going to be outfitting Samantha, Joan Rivers' dog that she left behind to her wonderful assistant, Jocelyn. They're going to be making their New York debut, and you will be the one documenting it. She's oh, I'm wear, so excited. It's going to be so cool. She's adorable. She's a Havanese. She's black. I know it's not easy to photograph black horses and dogs and cats, so right. that, that'll be a, a challenge. And then her brother, oh, I Egan, so look forward to it. It's going to be so fun. He's a rescued Japanese chin, and he's going to be wearing a really cool, like, faux pink leopard. The kind of thing, actually, anyone who knows me knows I would wear faux pink leopard would be, like, so up my alley. From uh, <laughs> an, another wonderful sponsor um, of, the, of the film festival, she's going to be outfitting Tegan from uh, Really Love Dogs. Tell a little bit about what, how do you handle a green carpet? I know you've done quite a few dog events where there was a flow of dogs, some dressed right. up, some not. How do you 
I mean, it, there must be, I'm, I'm anticipating that I'm not going to take Valium, but that there will be kind of a level of <laughs> intense, like, oh my God, give everybody a chance to get on the green carpet and don't step on the dog and, you know, don't <laughs> pee on the carpet. How, how do you right. handle that? Well, you know what? I think I've learned that the best way to handle it is with the most laid back attitude that I can possibly have. Yes. That's a <laughs> and good to just point. be okay with whatever happens, you know, if they, if they, don't do what I'm wanting them to do or if they peel on the carpet or if they run off in the middle of their, you know, photo shoot and it all happens. And, <laughs> and I've just learned that you just roll with it and say, okay, that's fine. You know what? When you're ready, you come back up and we'll try again. <laughs> I guess that's how, why you get that really spontaneous, relaxed um, expression in the dogs that you've shot. Another thing that you do, which is so amazing, you do weddings, human weddings, but that's sort of boring. Yeah. Well, to me it is, but of course if you're getting married, it's not. But weddings of people that have their dogs in the wedding. Now that's something a lot of people are wanting to do. And I imagine that's something that you've been even yep. more sought after because that requires another set of, of skills, I guess, right? I mean, how is that different? I mean, I guess one of the main things is you should have there should be a handler for the dog. You shouldn't just say, right. I think my niece, my niece will be there if she's not texting exactly. or in the bathroom primping. You need to have a dog handler right. if your dog's in a wedding, right? <laughs> Exactly. That's, you know what, that it makes it go so much more smoothly if there's someone there who isn't even necessarily part of the wedding who can just be in charge of hanging out with the dogs, taking care of them, you know, holding them while everyone else is getting ready. And um, it, it really does make the day go a lot more smoothly. But you know what, dogs make everything so much more relaxed and yes. people loosen up and laugh yes. and just have a good time when dogs are around in general. And I think that's the effect that it has at weddings as well is that you know, you might not take yourself so seriously. You might just laugh a little bit yes. more, you know. <laughs> Try and enjoy the it's moment. It's really nice. Yeah, and not be worried exactly. about, you know, as I think Prince Charles said at some point, that he worried about his knees cracking as he went down Westminster Abbey uh, Isle with Princess Diana or about to be Princess oh, Diana. Things that stay right. in my mind, like little goofy things, like that's what you were thinking about if your knees would make a cracking sound. Right. You know, other people <laughs> worry about, I don't know, forgetting something like the rings. What kind of dogs have you shot in weddings? What are some of your, your fond memories? Well, I've done a few where um, the first one that I actually ever photographed with dogs, they had two dogs that she she had one when they met, and he had one, and so they wanted the dogs to be part of the wedding, almost as a symbol of bringing their families together. Nice. a blended family, um, as they're called. Yeah, exactly. So the dogs actually got along really well and had already, you know, they, they had already spent a lot of time together, and so it was actually beautiful. The dog wore a little, you know, one of them was male and one was female. He wore a little tux. She wore a little um, collar of flowers. and. Um, oh. They did. They had someone walk with him down the aisle, and then he sat on one side and she sat on the other. And it, you know what? They did really well. It was that was my first experience with having a dog in a wedding, and I, I wasn't sure what to expect. Well, do you recommend that people do get outfits? Because one of the films in the film festival, and and um, the director of it, Heidi Glover, was was on the show very recently talking about dog people. And one of the things that she has in her documentary is a dog wedding on a sidewalk. That's a hoot. But Aiden Nieves oh, is a pretty famous dog fashion designer who's putting uh -huh. on the dog fashion show at the Dog Film Festival Pooch Party. She had designed an incredible bridal gown. I mean, way nicer than some human Swarovski crystals. Wow. And Do you think it's, if in fact it's a good idea or a fun idea to dress your dog, shouldn't you practice a lot in those outfits first? Yes, <laughs> I would think so. Just to be sure that they're comfortable. I mean, it sure is cute when they have 
you know, and they have a little outfit, but I don't know. Some dogs seem to do really well wearing clothes and some don't. Exactly. So some won't even it, walk. If it were me, absolutely. I would have them wearing that outfit quite a bit before yes. just to be sure that they were comfortable. Yeah. So that's so that's a good thing to do. We, I should probably, well, a resource, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's places that people can find little tuxes and little wedding gowns. But I, I do think that it kind of humanizes a wedding to have to have the dog as part of it, especially for people who view their dog as a seriously, intensely close family member or a child kind of relationship. Have you ever done, when you do weddings, I imagine you do a lot of sort of uh, relaxed stuff before, right? Kind of like uh, off the cuff. Have you done those with the people with their dogs? Because I imagine that's really lovely too, while the bride's getting ready or the groom's getting ready if the dog's part of that. Yeah, you know, actually, that is the most common thing that I see. Even people who maybe they're getting married in a church or a place where the dog cannot be for the actual wedding. I mean, really, probably maybe a quarter to a half of the people that I photograph, they do have their dogs around while they're getting ready. And they do they do want their dogs to be part of, even if they can't be part of the ceremony, they want their dogs to be part of as much of the day as they possibly can. So that beginning part of the day is really common to have the dogs around and to you know, have them be part of that, <laughs> you know, the bridesmaids are there. My dog should be here too. You know? Yes, exactly. Otherwise it's not a complete party. When you exactly. do a day in the life for people, um, which is usually a day in the life of their dog or, or is it right. always their dog and them? I mean, where did that idea it's, come it's always, from? Yeah. So it's always, I had the idea because I actually do, I started out doing day in the life sessions for families with their children. And oh. I, you mean I those, those two-legged this, children, the people that... that the two-legged have, children, yeah. exactly, the human children. So that's actually how I started. And, and as I was doing those sessions, I began to think this is something that would be perfect for families with their dogs and to try to document, you know, what what is this? I, I just, I love the documentary style photos that just show, instead of just having a portrait, it shows what your routine looks like. And yes. so... Yes, the day in the life, I think it, it usually is the dog and their family because a big part of the story is how the dog interacts with their people. <laughs> and and I, so um, that's something that a lot of us don't have that have pets. Some of us, not me, unfortunately, sadly, are, are big picture takers. So we're whipping out the camera, whipping out the phone and taking lots of pictures of the dog sleeping, the dog running, the dog playing. We usually don't have hardly any photographs of ourselves with our dogs. Exactly. It's part exactly. of the texture of our life. And I just think that to people with an aging dog or even a new puppy, the idea that exactly. you can have this photo documentation of this relationship because you're not going to go to the Parthenon with them and have a picture of them, you know, like standing in front of a column. Those are the kinds of pictures exactly. people often have, right? Travel photos of themselves. They exactly. used to hand your camera to a stranger. Thing. Please exactly. don't run away with my camera. But I think right. a day in the life is something. And what an, kind of an amazing gift to give to people. A lot of people know very dog-obsessed friends that might have everything yes. in life. Or anything you give them, they're not going to like it. They would pick a different color or a different shape or a different texture. Right. Whatever it might be. But you would know that if... That if you said, I would like to give you as a gift a, a day in the life with your dog and it'll be a photo album, I mean, how would anybody not just flip over backwards? Exactly. I mean, full right. disclosure, when I told you how much I love the day in the life that, that you showed me and Andrea Arden, who's going to be the dog trainer at the Dog Film Festival Pooch Party, who's a really great dog trainer, you had done a day in the life with it's her wonderful. that you showed me. It was so gorgeous. And then you offered me one and I was so grateful. I'm very, very <laughs> yeah. excited come to Bennington and do this, but 
I just think for anyone to give this as a gift to someone else, I mean, people sometimes think I'll get a sketch of your dog for you. I mean, I know people who've had a sketch artist, but honestly, sometimes those sketches are just not the taste of the person receiving it. They don't think it captures what they love or feel about their dog. That's happened to me with a horse. Someone did it for me with a horse. And I was like, that isn't what he looks like. That doesn't remind me of him at all. So it's a photo documentation. It's, it's you and the animal, and you don't have to do hair and makeup, right? I'm hoping. You can, like, no, soft. exactly. It's human. very laid back. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I always tell people when I when I am in conversation with people before the session. Sometimes people are a little bit nervous. They're not used to being in front of the camera. And I, I always try to encourage people that just remember these photos are for you. They're not for right. anyone else. They're for right. you. And I think that helps to put people at ease that, you know what, these are just for me to enjoy and for me to remember what life looks like at this stage and you know, what our routine was like. And, and I think that does help put people at ease a little bit. And also as people... These are for and, your family. And what about when people have senior pets? I mean, so many of us have these aging dogs and they're getting white around their muzzle and they're moving more exactly. slowly. And we're living with now this very conscious awareness that they're going to leave us kind of soonish. Exactly. And we don't rarely take pictures of our aging dogs. Sometimes we take it kind of ghoulishly on their deathbed. I mean, I know... Oh, People exactly. do, but that's I mean, that's so really not the memory you want. How about in the months or years before they're ready to go across the rainbow bridge, you get, uh, and those pictures would be so much easier for you to take because the dog's kind of stationary compared to a jumping bean, right. you know, younger dog that's like, could you just right. still for a second? I think right. that's really something lovely to have and something that one could easily regret never having done. John, I don't have any pictures of Johnny, you know, from after he was four years old and now the dog's 14 and it's going to be goodbye soon. And that would just be so touching. The other thing is I don't think any of us know what we look like with our dogs when our dogs are jumping in our lap or licking our face. Uh You know, I mean, I'm sure we don't know what that looks like. And I bet our expression is one of some kind of joy. Except for in my case, when they lick off the expensive face cream, I'm like, no, no, that's the costly part of my body. Uh, Right, right, enough. (laughs) No, enough. Oh, no, I got to reapply my costly face cream. But I I think it's just a really cool thing to do. What kind of advice, if any, would you give to people bringing a dog either to the pooch party or maybe going to some other venue? Why anybody would want to go anywhere but the pooch party, the dog film festival? I cannot yeah, imagine. Who, 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 who would that ever. would be so silly. But anyone who has a founding member ticket is welcome to bring their dog. And if their dog is crabby or cranky or antisocial, then you know you could bring a friend's dog. I mean, if you have a friend who dog who just loves to go out and get a doggy swag bag full of stuff, but particularly have these cool photos taken in this glamorous. Your friend would be so thankful. <laughs> yeah, they would. I mean, that would be a great gift. Let me just let me I, rent. A dog. Those of you that have found him, right. a dog. You know, go to. Uh, I, I I guess that the shelters can't let you borrow a dog for the day because then you wouldn't get it back in time. Although there are some shelters where they let them have o- weekends or overnights with people. It's mm-hmm. very. It's very, but I think that's like best friends in Utah, and obviously now those dogs are geographically appropriate. What, what, any particular advice about a step and repeat? And is it your job as the photographer to get the attention of the dog? What should the person do? Just stand upright and act as if there's not really a dog at the end of a leash? Because I think a lot of us want to bend over and kind of raise up the dog's head or get involved in trying to make the dog look good for the photo. And then we're kind of interfering. Is that, is that what happens? You know, I, my best advice would be, um, 
Well, you know what? So what I try to do in like at the pooch party would be I actually want to get a few of both because I like for people to have variety. And sometimes what I find when I see pictures of myself even is that I might like a certain one but not another. Like, oh, I wish right. I wouldn't have crapped right. over in that one. Or, oh, I wish my face would be a little closer or something like that. So what I try to do is to take some variety. So I will probably do both. I probably would get some um, standing, and then I probably would say, why don't you, you know, if, if possible, why don't you pick up your dog and let me take one oh, little, I see, you know, right. closer of your faces. And just to give people some variety and choice. But the number one thing I would say as far as advice that I've, that I've seen is that I think sometimes people worry too much about what their dog is doing and they want yes. them to behave perfectly and they want them to stay yes. right there. And, and what I would say is just, no, your dog is going to be a dog. <laughs> and that's why, I'm, you know, I'm there to work with you and to make it work and to make them look as, as natural as possible. And so I, I think when us humans kind of get anxious and get worried about what the dog is doing, the dogs can sense that and they even get a little more anxious. Right. So I think, that's you know, my main advice would just be, you know what, your dog is going to be a dog. We'll do, the, we'll do the best that we can. We'll have a great time. The pictures will be beautiful. And we'll have the best chance if everybody is laid back and, and you know, just not, going, not I'm going to party and I'm going to party. Well, there's somebody, there really, you go. Exactly. Really, <laughs> someone really extraordinary is going to be on the green carpet. And this is something that we want to make sure we get amazing photos of. There's um, a gal called Myra lives in West Hollywood, California, who um, have talked about on the show with a, the social worker who works with homeless people, particularly the homeless who have dogs. And Myra was homeless. She had been a previous showgirl in Las Vegas and had gone on hard times and was homeless and couldn't get into a human shelter because she had this little dog, Prince, who she'd bought off of a a drug dealer who was pushing him on the sidewalk for $20 to get high. And so she was now forced to remain homeless because of little Prince, this cocker spaniel. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then she got into a, a homeless shelter called Path that has a kennel attached and in the meantime was able to get her her underwritten housing. And so she found out that the movie Myra and Prince is going to be in the film festival. And don't you know, her community is chipping in and flying her and Prince to New York City for the pooch party and the festival. And this woman is so gorgeous. And the cocker is like, the cocker Amalfi that I had, adorable. But she is so beautiful and so dignified and elegant. And oh, I we have can't a, wait to we have a really special story. presentation for her from Halo. But we want to get great pictures of her on the step and repeat. The, these are this is this is a lady and a dog that deserve to be the, the queens of New York for the day because she's turned Absolutely. her life around and and had this dog stick by her and she stuck by him and she slept in a park so she wouldn't have to have him sent away. I mean, there's no place for the dogs of the homeless, temporarily homeless or long-term homeless. So it's yeah. going to add a whole Yeah, she other... could have so easily given up on him for, you know, for the sake of a to warm survive. place to sleep. Yes, right. absolutely. So th- wow, this is going to raise a whole other level of consciousness and, and an awareness at the party that, that we're all of us any day could wind up the way Myra did. And it's really beautiful to see how, how this story turned out and that and that the community around her in West Hollywood is all chipping in to send her to New York. I have to figure out some way that I can help with that. I It's, it's new news. This is breaking news. So very excited about That's it. Very, very exciting. Very well, I'd be happy to help with that, too. Please, you know, afterwards we can talk you, more about You that. and I will figure out something because this is just one of those happy stories and we need more happy stories. Just Absolutely. like your company That's is right. called Real Happy Dogs, we need lots more real real life, real happy dog stories. Bella, right. cannot wait That's to right. see you at the pooch party. 
and to have my own day in the life with Maisie and Wanda and my ancient girl, Jazzy, who definitely deserves to be in the photos, too, and will not not, not give you any challenge. Lying down is her specialty. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, I look forward to it so much. Can't wait to see you, and thank you for all the great work you do, document, photo documenting people and their dogs. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful Thank you, Tracy, and thank you time. so much for the opportunity. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. We'll be right back after this quick word with Jeremy Brunner and Espoma Organic and Petscaping. We'll be right back. We are pleased to support the Catnip Allergy Study. Are you allergic to cats? Does your cat or the cat of a friend or family member cause you to sneeze or get itchy, watery eyes? If so, you may be qualified to participate in Catnip, a clinical study of an investigational drug combined with allergy shots. Researchers are screening cat-allergic individuals at their study sites in Los Angeles, Denver, Chicago, Baltimore, Chapel Hill, Seattle, and Madison. If you're allergic to cats and interested in learning more about the catnip study, go to catallergystudy.org. This show is also made possible in part by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian in Colorado who's created innovative litters for the health of all members of the family with low-dust litters that allow everyone to breathe easier. Precious Cat's newest health monitor litter has broken new ground by allowing people to find the early signs of kidney disease in their kitties and intervene before damage is done, prolonging the quality and length of a cat's life. I am back with Jeremy Brunner, who helps to run Espoma Organic Company, is the great-grandson of the founder. This is what's cool about Espoma Organic, is they spent a lot of time thinking about petscaping and how to make your property safe for pets, which is something that no one seems to think about. As as a guy that was on the show years ago from safelawn.org used to say, people want rugs on drugs. They want a green lawn that looks like something off of a golf course, and they're kind of poisoning their kids and their animals. Jeremy, welcome to the show. So glad to have found you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Tracy. I really appreciate it. And you're absolutely right. Um, you know, um, people don't think about it. And yet the uh, EPA estimates that nearly 90 million pounds of pesticides are applied each year on, on uh, American lawns. So Whoa. it's definitely a, a big issue out there. And, um, you know, it's not really top of mind for uh, even even pet owners. I think a, a lot of them don't, they don't even think, think about, about it. I mean, maybe the Scotty owners, maybe because they've been told that Scotties are prone to bladder cancer. But I mean, I, I don't I don't think they're really putting two and two together. You launched this program called Safe Paws, which right. really addresses all of these issues. Tell a little bit about gardening and what you put on it and how you make it look nice or make nice vegetables and not knock off the creatures in your life that you love. Sure. Well, I think, you know, a lot of people who, who take care of their own lawns, they've they've just been kind of mesmerized that you have to have these four-step lawn programs. And quite honestly, um, you know, not only are they not safe for your, for your pets, but um, they're not really good for your lawn either. I mean, they're... Uh, they're, they're um, uh, they're they're putting down pesticides across your entire lawn, whether they need it or not. So if you don't have a crabgrass problem, for example, um, you don't need a crabgrass preventer applied to your entire lawn. Or if you don't have insects or or bad weeds, you, you don't need those pesticides applied across your lawn either. So we've been selling organic fertilizer since 1929, and wow. always because that was your great better, gran- that was your great grandpa. 
Absolutely. So, so cool. we were doing it, you know, long before it became in vogue, and and um, we always have thought that it's a healthier way. You know, the idea behind a natural lawn is is to try to to create a great soil, a healthy soil that's alive with beneficial microbes yes. and earthworms, and create deep roots. And if you have a healthy grass, you know, you're not going to have all the problems of insects and weeds. And a healthy grass will outcompete all of those things. So it's kind of a more holistic preventative uh, approach to your lawn. And we're using the Save Paws campaign to try to, to connect with, with people who have pets because, you know, some people aren't, don't even, you know, they may be using a lawn service or they may be doing it themselves and not even realizing what they're putting on. Exactly. So besides the, the health and nutrition, we want to we also try to educate people as to the, to the safety aspects. Um, uh, we, have, we have the groundwater problem. So on Long Island, you know, it's it's pretty shallow in a sense of groundwater. Of the water's right there, and you're polluting the groundwater. I mean, everyone's up in arms. Oh my God, China's so polluted, and this country's polluted. But we, the most wealthy, the most privileged people, especially those with lawn care people taking care of their lawns or or loving to do it themselves, we're polluting our own ecosystem. In order to, and by the way, I don't think there's a problem with crabgrass, Jeremy. I've always embraced crabgrass. To me, if it's green and when you cut it, it stays green. That's a lawn. Who says it has to be some kind of grass that if you gave it a name, you know, it it could be in a book under ryegrass or this kind of grass or bluegrass or something. It doesn't matter. Absolutely. And you know what? There's a a statistic that was put out there that said, you know what, a a lawn with – Say fifteen percent of, uh, of of weeds, and it is not even noticeable to, to to the passerby. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, yes, you may have to open up uh, and be a little bit more accepting and embracing of an imperfect lawn. We don't we don't need a golf course, correct? Um, but you can have a healthy, attractive green lawn using organic uh, type of program and avoiding the use of all of these insecticides and pesticides that you know, are dangerous. I mean, if you look at the ASPCA's top 10 list of, of calls that they get, um, their pets getting into contact with lawn and garden chemicals is, really? is one of them. Whoa. It, it's, it's always, every year, if you look for the past few years, it's always on the top 10. And according to the National Canine uh, Cancer Foundation, they're saying one out of three uh, dogs, for example, is getting cancer. So when over you look at all these two, statistics. By the way. That's not even old dogs. That's one out of three over the age of two. This is really? something people yeah. don't recognize. And by putting carcinogenic materials all over your property that your dog or your child, mind you, if, if anyone has the same attachment to their two-legged children that some of us have to our four-leggeds, it's really serious. They're walking on it, and then little children are licking their hands, and every dog is licking their paws and their belly and their legs, and they're ingesting it. So they're breathing it, and they're ingesting it. And they're it, tracking it back into the home, you know, yep. and then, then you know, your kids, and especially if you have, you know, uh, crawling young... Toddlers. Uh, if, yeah. if it's crawling around, yeah. So it, it's definitely something that... Uh, you know, and I think, you know, for people who have a lawn service, and a lot of times you'll see the pesticide flags in about, up and about. Yes. And um, I don't know how many people are really following, you know, uh, or even paying attention to those flags. But the people who are doing it themselves are not obligated to put those flags up. So if you're walking your dog, uh, you know, you may not even know that, that a pesticide has been applied to your neighbor because they don't have to post anything. So it's, it's definitely a real issue. And, and basically the Safe Paws campaign, like I mentioned, is, is really trying not just to to, to, to promote the organic fertilizers, but trying to educate people overall on how to keep that outdoor environment. You know, for example, keeping your, 
your um, whatever lawn and garden products you're using, you, know, you got to store them in a safe uh, place. And it sounds kind of you know intuitive, but again, you look at that ASPCA call list and go, people are people's pets are getting into these um, products, and even the organic ones, by the way. Um, well, I was you know, going to say the organic one. See, I didn't know Espoma Organic was a privately owned family company, which just always makes my heart beat faster. We don't have enough of that in America. And when uh, I yeah. lived in the Hamptons and Wild Orchid Gardens, Melanie is the most brilliant, brilliant landscape designer and maintainer. And she was making me buy earthworm casings. And I was like, okay, what is that? Well, it's like, you know, I don't know. Is it the worm duty or the worm skin that falls off? But she said, this is how you amend soil. This is how you make rich, you know, earth that the lawn wants to grow on and the plants want to grow on. But your products, the organic fertilizers, which I've also used here in Vermont on my vegetable garden, are delicious to dogs. This is not something that should be, as you point out, just left around because any dog worth their salt some of them have fish and stuff in them, right? They they would like to eat the whole bag of it. Once you put it out on your garden, they're going to leave it alone. But right, right. It, yes. it is tasty. Yes. I mean, you don't want um, – I mean, if they got into a, a, an open bag, uh, I mean, there's a lot of feed-type ingredients like feather meals and bone meals and those yeah, types of things. Yeah. So it's not, it's not anything hazardous or toxic, but it can certainly if – they, if they eat large – uh, amounts of it, you know, they can get a really upset stomach and it can cause issues. So even with those products, um, even with our own products, you know, they've got to be stored, you know, out of reach for, of, of children and pets, just like any, you know, uh, most, most household products. So that's, that's a, uh, you know, another a big thing that people can do. And you also have to think about the mulches that you're using in your garden. Right. Um, you know, that cocoa are- mulch is deadly. Exactly. I mean, cocoa or some of these enhanced mulches that may have insecticides or pesticides already inside them, you want to avoid these kinds of things because, again, they're, they're not good for, for, um, you know, for your family members. So, what, so what should we use as a mulch? Because we, we open the garden in the spring and we get all the dead stuff off and whatever leaves are left, and we don't want to be weeding, weeding, weeding. Um, I, I get mulch delivered by the local landscaping place, and it's really just sort of well-decomposed wood. But I yeah, guess I think, people are buying things in bags from the, the lawn the lawn stores, and those are treated, are they? I, th- I think, you know, anything that's just treated with a colorant or anything like that I think is fine. So if you're getting like a black, you know, hardwood type right. mulch brown, I, I think those are okay. But I think, you know, again, most mulches that I think are fine. And, and actually mulching from a gardening standpoint is, is a great thing to do to, you know, um, uh, maintain, you know, uh, moisture and right. avoid the, the excessive heat. So, so you certainly want to, you know, I'm, I'm not recommending not using mulches, but anything with cocoa or any kind of, you know, treated pesticide in it, um, you know, I, I think you should just try to avoid. So what, what are earthworm casings since I brought it up? I've always been sort of fascinated. Do you sell earthworm <laughs> well, casings? or We earthworm? just started selling, you know, that's one of the more uh, recent kind of, um, things that have come out in the retail and yeah i mean it's a byproduct of of, of growing on the earthworms and the and the uh uh the excrement from that and so we do we do offer that a lot of the types of ingredients that you get when it comes to organic fertilizers again they're going to either be from a plant origin animal origin or or a natural mineral from the ground so examples of of uh you know plant origin uh might be a kelp meal uh, you know, which comes from seaweed. Yes. Uh, example of animal ingredients, again, like feather meals and, and bone meals, blood meals, those types of things. Minerals tend to be, um, you know, like green sand or um, 
like sulfate of potash, and those are the types of things. So as a company, we try to take all those different ingredients and, and combine them in the right proportions uh, to be used in, in the garden. And in the garden, you know, I think we as a company have been very successful in getting people, you know, to see whether it's using holly tone in their, in their evergreens and shrubs or using garden tone in their vegetables. But the lawns has always been right. kind of a small part of what we've done. And, um, and that's you know, the and place again, that the dogs spend most of their time. Exactly. You know, so that's kind of the biggest part of, of everybody's uh, property usually. Yes. And so, um, you know, that's still an area where I think us and, and other organics companies like us, uh, whether they're service companies or product companies like us, you know, we've, we've really struggled to, um, to get it to be, to, to take it to that next level. So, uh, you know, that, again, that's why this campaign came about. We started doing special events at some of our retailers. We started uh, promoting it, um, you know, through public relations efforts, through online uh, education, through printed brochures, um, and, and just trying to, again, just educate people and, and wake them up as to, you know, what they're doing and what they're allowing on their on their properties. Because once you recognize that they're harmful chemicals, then the next logical thing is, okay, then I'll go organic. Maybe I don't view myself as a fruits and nuts organic kind of person, but right, now I right. get that it's for the health not just of my dogs and children or visiting dogs and children, but of the planet. I, I, does, does one have to fertilize a lawn? Well, you don't have to. And actually, one of the interesting things as we started doing some of these events at, at, at some of the stores, um, you know, we, we did run into people who had said, you know, they just viewed fertilizer in general as a bad thing for their lawn. And so they just stopped fertilizing altogether. That's, that's and kind me. Of so what should I be up doing on their instead? Lawn. Yeah. yeah. What should so I be to doing? Them, you know, to, 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 to them, you know, our message was, look, you don't, you don't have to give up on the lawn. It's just that no one's ever been made aware that there are alternative methods that you could use that, you know, the nice thing with organics is, you know, they're long lasting. They're not going to leach out into the groundwater system because they're not, you know, highly water soluble and fast acting. So they, they stay near the right. roof. They stay in the ground. So you don't have to worry about, about the leaching away. You don't have to worry about the burning that you can sometimes get if you over right. apply on a regular, regular lawn. You don't have to worry about the hazardous pesticides and all those types of things. And, you know, do you need, how often you're going to feed is going to really depend on the kind of the results that you want. Um, but, you know, I would say in general, a minimum of two feedings, spring and fall, of uh, maximum of four feedings in, in, at the most is, is probably all you're going uh, you well, to need. What if I a, missed a, that window because I was that person who didn't want to, you know, create any extra carcinogenic things in my environment and now it's sort of the end of summer? Do I wait until the fall and do it then before it goes dormant and then it, it just sits there all winter long and, and mutters to itself? Well, you can do a late summer. I mean, we, we don't recommend in the heat, you know, in the mid, mid middle of the summer when it's at its, you know, its hottest temperatures. I wouldn't recommend there. But, you know, I would say after Labor Day, we have a, a summer revitalizer um, that's a great product. It's got non-staining iron, which most Ooh. most conventional fertilizers that you use out there, um, if you've ever noticed it for people who have a pool and, and if a product has iron in it, yes. if it gets, if it spills over onto the concrete, it stains it yes. and, and people have gotten very upset. So we, you know, again, we use an organic approved iron that's non-staining. So the summer revitalizer is a great product. And then we have a fall winterizer that we would recommend more probably, you know, depending on what part of the country you're in. But if you're in the Northeast, I would say, you know, late September, um, and that has extra potash, which gives you your, um, 
uh, helps with your roots and your overall health and, and kind of helps with the winter hardiness and gets you uh, a nice um, a base of nutrients for, for the next season. So, that's, so we nice, do have, that's a nice thing to think about, that you put your lawn to bed and when it wakes up in the spring, it's been it's been taken care of before it went to bed. I'm definitely going to do that. Do you do it with one of those those um, dispersal spreaders? You just put it in and then you walk yeah. around it. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I didn't realize that. I mean, it is my lawn is looking... A little, a little grim. Of course, it's you know a hot, hot, dry summer. But I think that the message is is that putting organic stuff on your property is good for the earth, and the earth needs to be fed somehow. I mean, we Absolutely. anyone does that with a vegetable garden, you're feeding all the time. I, I just I, I remember a, an old Italian grandpa um, who would say you put a fish head under every tomato plant. I thought, really? But I guess there must be some profoundly old-fashioned organic principle behind that because there was Oh, sure. I mean, I mean, this is the way people gardened for, you know, yes. thousands of years using, you know, manures and, and these types of ingredients and fish meals and those types of things. And we're actually launching a, a new line of liquid plant foods for next year that's going to also have, you know, so for people who have indoor plants and whatnot Ooh. and want to use something more safe, more environmentally friendly, um, and it'll have, you know, a lot of those same types of ingredients with kelp and some fish and soy proteins and all those types of things, but without any kind of really foul odor or anything. So, right. so we're excited about that as well. But, you know, in terms of the lawns, yes, I mean, you absolutely could still feed, I, I would say, towards, you know, after Labor Day, you could get one or two feedings still in and still be fine. Because, again, the nice thing with organics is the, the downside of them is they don't, they don't work as fast as, as a typical And we are an impatient, we're an impatient nation. Yeah, so they, they take time to break down by the microbes in the soil. But the great part about it is, you know, with synthetics, yeah, you get this quick hit, but whatever it doesn't, whatever the lawn can't use in that immediate time, it kind of gets washed away. Whereas our stuff, it, it's like, you know, kind of having a, whether you're getting a packet of sugar or, or a plate of spaghetti, we're like more right. like the plate of spaghetti. Right. It's going to last you, you know, longer time as the plant needs it. And so overall, you know, you won't need to, to feed it as often. Well, I'm going to go out and get some. I think it's great. I mean, I already, I already knew your company. It's just funny. There's some brands that that one just thinks of like, that's the organic company. And you don't think, wow, there's a grandson and a son and a <laughs> grandson and they're still doing this and like, you know, changing it up and, and modernizing it. I think it's great. And I think that the Safe Paws program is marvelous and petscaping is a great idea in terms of thinking of property. Thanks so much, Jeremy, for carrying on the family tradition and to your Morky Jacks. <laughs> I guess is a, a Maltese Yorkie. What is he a combination of? Yeah, Maltese Yorkie. He is high energy. He wants to play all the time, and he loves to be, whether we play inside or outside. So, you know, that certainly brought it, brought it home to us and my kids and, and, and with Jax especially. Um, you know, we can easily control our, our property and always have, but, you know, your neighbors around you, it, it definitely brought it, you know, uh, to the surface for us and top of mind. And uh, that certainly was part of the impetus of, of wanting to go above and beyond and try to create the Safe Paws campaign so that, you know, dogs like Jax and others can, you know, again, have a safe outdoor environment. So, uh, you know, we certainly appreciate you giving us the time to to help talk about it. And obviously, if anybody has questions, um, you know, they can go to espoma.com and, or, or call us at any time. We, you know, we always have people that answer the phone during normal working hours, and we take a lot of pride in being the 
fourth-generation family-owned business. And so you should be. I think it's terrific. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, I'm going to go out to my local lawn and garden store and get and get sprinkling any minute now. Thanks so <laughs> no, much, I, I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. We'll be right back after this quick word with Annie England Noblin in just one minute and her book, Stay Speak. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Waruva, a privately owned pet food company that uses people food to make food for cats and dogs in their family's human food facility. All varieties of canned Waruva, the pouches of cats in the kitchen, and their more economical BFF, Best Feline Friend brands, are made with the same care and specifications that are used to make food for people. Waruva's owners want to feed their own rescue kitties, for whom the company is named, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, with ingredients that are good enough for people to eat. I am back with Annie England Noblin and her book, her novel, Sit, Stay, Speak. She's going to read a little bit from it as well, but we're going to talk about this really cool book that's a love story and a change of life story and a dog story as well. Annie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So tell me what was the inspiration for this story, the dog part of it. I'm, I'm also curious about the other part. Maybe it was just pure imagination. But what, what about the dog part of it? Is this something that you were aware of, dog fighting, fighting dogs, breeding of fighting dogs, or, or you've come up against it? Where was your part in that part of the, the story? Well, I, I've been working in animal rescue since 2006. So um, I, I've it was just something that was a huge passion for me. And when I moved to the Arkansas Delta to teach, um, I sort of fell in with the, the Humane Society down there and started helping them. And unfortunately, in that area, and it's a problem all over the United States, especially in smaller towns, um, there were lots and lots of, of feral dogs running around, and there were lots of pit bulls running around that had been sort of turned out um, that, you know, had been used for fighting or for as bait dogs. So you, you actually saw it. You experienced it. I didn't actually experience the act of dog fighting, but we... No, no, of course not. But you saw... (laughs) No, I I hope not, although you describe it very well and we'll be reading... You'll be reading from that. But I mean, you were aware that these dogs were out and about looking pretty beat up. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's easy to tell, especially, you know, when you get... One time we got a, a female pit bull in, and, of course, she was very skinny and had been bred several times. But not only that, but her, her teeth had been filed down. So oh, that, gosh, you, you hear know, this. For breeding purposes, when they're breeding, so she can't fight back. You know, and you see these things, and you, you read about them, and you know they happen, and it's terrible. But then you see them, and it becomes infinitely more worse because yes. You, yes. now you've seen it. I mean, that's the thing, you know, when, when I think about that and, and the area that you're, that you're living and teaching in, you're, you're an English teacher at Arkansas State University and you live in the Missouri Ozarks, which I'd love you to describe what that is like, Ozark country, because I sort of think of those movies where everybody's kind of a hillbilly living in the woods off of a squirrel. But I mean, that's just a ridiculous, uh, you know, cliche. I don't know what the Ozarks are really like. They're probably gorgeous. They're probably nicer than the Hamptons. But, uh, but there's a sense of, oh, well, they caught Michael Vicks and that one big bad you know guy that was breeding and doing dog fighting phew good thing we got that cleaned up but in fact it's very endemic all over the place and not just in inner cities i think a lot of us think oh that's an urban thing that's a philadelphia thing that's a detroit thing that's a you know chicago thing 
or a New York thing even. But but in fact, it's it can be very it, a big part of the rural landscape, I guess. Well, of course, because out here and and there are wonderful, like you said, wonderful things about living in the Ozarks, and there are wonderful things about living in the Delta. But one of the not so wonderful things is that we we don't have a lot of um, animal control. Yes. Even in, the little, even in the small towns. But, you know, the town where I grew up, Koshkinong, Missouri, doesn't even have a police department. We don't have. Wow. We don't have an animal control. We don't even have a stoplight, you know. <laughs> and so we do wear our shoes. Um, and, and, you know, I've never eaten a squirrel. But, but you know, it, 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 it's, it's easy for people, you know, living sort of in the back 40 to, to take advantage of that lack of um, – you know, c- control that the, the law has because, you know, in some parts we're kind of our own law, you know, everybody yes. does have a gun and, you know, and, and so we sort of take care of our business ourselves and we yes. don't ask a lot of questions. Right. Because that's the nature. That's the, that's the fabric of society. And, and yes. why do you think that dog fighting is endemic in these areas? I, it doesn't happen in other countries that I'm that aware of. So I'm wondering, what is it that's so American about it that dog fighting is something which continues to bubble under the surface in many areas? Serious breeding of very aggressive pit bulls that are taught to be aggressive from a very young age and then other ones that aren't so aggressive are used as the bait and are mangled and, and chewed up and, and destroyed by the, the by the killers who are turned into killers by the people raising them. Why is that so American? It's not something to be so proud of, right? No. No, I, I think for one, because it's cheap entertainment in a lot right. of ways. I mean, a lot right. of money does go into it, you know, but it, it's something that you can kind of, you know, it's easy. Get a couple pit bulls and, and, you know, breed them and don't ever get them vetted, you know, and and for another, because so often it's tied to, to drugs in the big cities and in, in the little towns. In, in what way, Annie? Well, because a lot of people, you know, are use the, you know, it's community. People come together for the dog fight. I you see. know, they, you might live 15 miles from your nearest neighbor, right. but you're going to go, you know, on the weekend to that whatever, you know, social event. So it's, it's a social event and people can use that to network and I to see. sell drugs. And, I see. And in the area where I live, it's very often meth um, because wow. that's, that's the, some of us have only ever seen meth in Breaking Bad, but again, that's probably meth laboratories and homemade drugs are also something that can happen quite easily away from the uh, the prying eyes of the law. Oh yeah, you I mean there are there are places where I live. You don't go down that dirt road, you know. You know what those trailers are used for. Really, and for sure. Oh, I mean, this is just these are just known facts of the fabric. It's, no, of- it's a known fact. It's it's you know you it, it's just how it is and it's not that people don't want it to change but it's very difficult to change something that has become you know so intricate in our within our society i don't know if you've ever read winter's bone or seen the movie sure absolutely um, that that was actually the, where i got the impression of the squirrels <laughs> yes and, and <laughs> that daniel was jennifer woodrow, lawrence before she right. was jennifer lawrence right that's right and daniel woodrow wrote that book and we actually live in the same town no um, we kidding both, we both live in west plains where actually he lives about a block oh away from my me. god congratulations <laughs> to him what a huge success right he's, he's oh he's just a, a oh mega that's talent. great that's he so writes great. so beautifully about, about the area, but he did a spectacular job with that, the people who live on the fringes. Yes. And, and it's very true. You know, I mean, I'm, parts of it, of course, are played up, but I mean, you know, there, there are some definite truths in that, in that book and in the movie. 
it came across as very dour and very grim, and that's the reality. And I mean, I think oh, it's yeah. a great depiction of it, and amazing that that someone was able to get a movie made that wasn't a feel good, happy movie where people were running off into the sunset, you know, with a six pack, and I don't mean beer. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's like it was so real life and and gritty. What are the Ozarks like physically? Is it very beautiful? Yes, it is. Right, I've always heard it was gorgeous. Yes. It's gorgeous. We have beautiful rivers and streams and nature. <laughs> we have these every day I, I drive. I live in Missouri, but I, I work in Arkansas. I, I drive about an hour to work every day. And I drive through um, this little town called Bakersfield and you just look off and there are these beautiful rolling hills and it's it's just gorgeous. I, I, I can't imagine, you know, wanting to live anywhere else. It's just so It's that pretty. wonderful. And it of course, really <laughs> having no stoplight, or at least where you grew up having no stoplight, means there's probably very few cars. And that's music <laughs> to my ears, and I'm sure to anybody, you know, stuck in yet another line of traffic, which is, seems to be, whether it's California or the Hamptons, you just sit in traffic. It, it, it's just, if you get away from it and you're able to get in your car or go for a walk and not be impeded by many other people doing the same thing, it's kind of a giant privilege who goes to Arkansas State University? Is it mostly people who've grown up locally? There are so many universities in this country, and, and you're teaching creative writing, and, and you're a, a published poet. Who goes there? Do you have a, a pool of students who are talented and bright? And I don't mean this in any kind of a demeaning way, or is it just the local state university, and if anyone lives nearby or is a great, maybe a great jock, they go there? Well, we, I teach for Arkansas State University, one of their two-year campuses in Mountain Home. So it's one of those, um, I don't say satellite, we have our own campus, we have, you know, our own, our own buildings, we sort of exist on our own, but it's, we do have a lot of local students, we don't have any sports teams. Oh, interesting. Um, it's, it's a very, you know, it's a relatively small campus. Um, our our two-year campus actually has the highest graduation rate of any Wow. Uh, school in the state of Arkansas, a two-year school in the state of Arkansas. So we're, we're a good little school. Um, but we do get a lot of local students from the high school. We, we pull some from Missouri because there's no out-of-state tuition for those students that are sort of living close to the Arkansas state line. Um, we so get, it's very it's affordable. It's very affordable. It's cheaper for students, um, and they get a really great education. You know, all of our faculty members have master's degrees, and many of them have PhDs, and, and you know, it, it's a great draw for students who maybe don't want to leave home or don't want to spend as much money as they would maybe at the ASU in Jonesboro. I uh, see. You know. So it's, but it's interesting that, that there are so many universities that have published authors like yourself and a published poet, and you're there in this little pocket, this little beautiful pocket, and offering higher education to people who otherwise would not really have access to it. And I think in the same way that we don't realize the bad things that are happening all across the country in smaller communities, I think also the beauty of these small colleges and universities is that that higher education, which is would otherwise be unattainable is really making, I am hoping a significant difference in the lives of generations as they evolve so that people can get out of poverty or get out of a dead end or get out of a place where the most interesting thing that is going to happen this week is dogs chewing each other to death. You know, a sense that there's another world out there and it has other things to offer. Yes, absolutely. I think it's, it's wonderful. We, we call the students first-generation college students. Nice. And we, 
we get a lot of them. Um, my two very best friends are both first-generation college students. One of them now has a master's degree. The other one has wow. a Wow. Wow. You know, we, we both, my, be, my best friend and I graduated from Kashkanong High School. There were 15 people in my graduating class. Stop it. Dude, it's Stop true. Stop it. There, there, were, there were nine girls um, and six boys. And, oh, my you know, God. I went to kindergarten with them all the way. Oh, that's so cool. That's it, like the greatest it, private school in the world. What is it that it, people it, want that they spend $50,000 for an eight-year-old to go to school is to be in right. a small class? Right, Kostanong, Missouri. Well, we'll that's come on out. down, come on down, because your kid is going to get a lot of one-on-one attention. And if you're a girl, depending on the year, you're going to have your pick of boyfriends because there's, you know, that's right, that's right. And people, people think that we can't compete in these in these small towns, and you know, we we can. We we ha- all have good educations and and, and we, attitude matters a lot you know right attitude yes, can yes. do self-confidence let's 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 have you read um a, a piece that i picked out of sit stay speak which is is a marvelous love story and very charming going back to this small town which i'm sure very much reflects your experiences there but just to sort of set the scene addie who's the the heroine has stumbled upon what seems to be a dog fighting dog breeding location earlier on in the book someone has brought a really mangled up dog brought into the vet's office where she is and and doesn't want to get the dog fixed up and and this is something Addie doesn't really understand and doesn't do much there's not much she can do about it until this I guess you could say till this moment right where she happens upon the dog the dog fighting yes okay so there she's she's gone to, to a behind a house the house of red the bad guy is a large outbuilding. So I'll let you read from from what happens next. She pushes her way through a, a loose board in a, in a fence. Okay. She crouched on top of one of the empty dog houses and peered through the window. The building was packed full of men. There was a layer of smoke so thick that the view was hazy, even though the lights inside were blazing. The men were standing in a circle, many of them shouting and raising their fists toward something below them that Addie couldn't see. There was one last final outburst, and the crowd dispersed. Red Jones was left standing in the middle of the room, surrounded by a plywood ring smeared in blood. He was holding a huge pit bull by the collar. The dog was thrashing about, foaming at the mouth. There was another man in the corner, bent over another dog. He was kicking at it. With each kick, the dog lifted its head for a few seconds before it fell back down into the blood-spattered dust. Finish him, the man said, stepping away from the dog. Fucking finish him. He slapped several bloody $100 bills into Red's hand and pulled Red's dog, Red's dog by the collar out of the building, cursing under his breath. Red was alone in the room with the other man's dog. He shoved the wad of money into his pocket and wiped the blood from his hands onto one of the plywood boards. The dog struggled to lift its head as Red neared, tried to drag itself away from his impending shadow. Red reached behind his back and pulled out a gun. It was the gun Addie had seen in the bedroom, the one with the beautiful design. He aimed it at the dog's head and pulled the trigger, again and again. Addie fell back on top of the doghouse. She tasted vomit. She closed her eyes to keep everything from running together. Just then, the door to the building swung open and people began streaming out. Addie slid down on the, down the roof of the doghouse and into the dirt behind it. She hoped that no one had heard the thud of her body hitting the ground. She pulled her knees up to her chest and locked her arms around them. When the voices drifted back inside the main house, Addie dared to raise her head. That was when she noticed a mass in front of her. Whatever it was, it was breathing, rather wheezing in front of her. She squinted into the moonlight. 
Her eyes followed a thick chain posted into the ground all the way up to the neck of yet another dog. Addie froze with visions of the dogs inside running rampant in her mind. Was it going to attack her? The animal let out a whimper. Next page. The animal let out a whimper in Addie's direction, but there was no gnashing of teeth. Instead, the dog crawled towards her. Instinctively, Addie stuck out her hand. The dog sniffed it and slid closer to her. It was then that Addie realized the dog was heavily pregnant. She ran her hand down the length of the dog, and despite the bulging belly, Addie could feel every single rib. At each stroke, the dog's tail hit the dirt with a soft thump, thump, thump. I have to go, Addie whispered to her. I've got to get out of here. The dog licked her hands, and Addie felt her heart sink. The chain around the dog's neck was held with a padlock. The chain led to a stake driven into the ground. She crawled over to the stake and tugged at it. When it didn't come out, she dug into the dirt with her hands until she could pry the stake free. She clenched the stake with both hands, giving the chain a gentle tug. Come on, let's go. The dog stood on four shaky legs. She walked a few paces forward following Addie. They were almost to freedom when a light shined on Addie's back. It really, the scene of her rescuing this this pregnant dog and taking it away and the jeopardy she was in, really, it's just this little slice, this little view into that part of the world down there that felt really genuine and really pretty much as harsh as it is. And there's not much that can be done. As you said, people don't want it that way, but they can't stop the people making meth down that alley in those trailers, and they can't stop the people down the other dirt road breeding dogs and teaching them to be killers and shooting them and fighting them and leaving them to die. There's not much you can do about it. I guess it's where the law can sometimes be of value. I mean, sometimes people think, you know, you know, don't don't be messing so much in my business. But in these situations, even in the most rural places, I would think that it might be very welcome. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I agree. I, I think that it would be wonderful to have more help. Yes. <laughs> yes you know, down, down yes. in this area, you know, and um, we we do a lot where I live um, in West Plains as far as animals, stray animals go. Um, in fact, our animal control in my town hasn't had to put an animal down in three years. Congratulations. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's huge. Know, we, we were a gassing pound until last year. And wow. We took that, we took that, you know, machine out and we're, you know, um, our animal control officer is an amazing person, but most rural areas are not are not that lucky. And it's even if we wanted, you know, to to prosecute someone for animal cruelty, it's very difficult. We it's see extremely it on difficult. I know, but it's not. It, you can't bring it to your own town, Annie. I realize we've run out of time, but that doesn't shouldn't stop anyone from eating sit, stay, speak. And it's not only about dog fighting at all. In fact, I had to work hard to find it. It's mostly a marvelous love story and a view of your part of the country that's so beautiful. Annie England Noblin, Sit, Stay, Speak, a delightful book and a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening. Kiss your kitties and hug your pooches, and we will talk again next week.